I V M. Hi, welcome to a show about crypto. And uh, whenever I start a conversation about crypto, the first question uh, that inevitably comes up is, "But dude, isn't crypto illegal in India?" So here's a myth that I want to get at the bottom of one way or another. And because I do not have the expertise to do it myself, I'm joined today by Mr. Varun Sethi, who is a blockchain lawyer um, and describes himself as a tech evangelist, among other things, and a reluctant poet, which we will also get to at some point. So Varun, I'm just going to jump right into it. Is cryptocurrency illegal in India? Well, let let me buzz this myth right right in the first five seconds of this podcast. Cryptocurrency was never illegal in India. Not today. Not in the past. And hopefully not in the future. Dun dun dun. So, from that perspective, uh, the the myth around it is that oh, it is illegal. And I'll I'll share a little anecdote here. Uh, I hired an intern in two thousand and seventeen eighteen, and uh, she left in one day. Simply because when a mother came to know that she's working in a firm which does some work in cryptos, even though we did not accept any cryptos at that time or whatever, uh, the mother simply called me up and said, oh, no. So just to make things clear from a legal perspective, the point is that there was a ring fencing restriction imposed by Reserve Bank of India, which is very logical because at that time, any Tom and Harry was coming up with, with its own coin and they were offering it to public and public being vulnerable given they were sort of offering 240% returns, 300% returns and those kind of things, right? So what Reserve Bank of India did was that it said that you cannot convert cryptos to fiat currency, which is INR in India, or similarly, these kind of restrictions have been imposed in other countries as well. So from that perspective, people thought that, okay, we are buying an asset, let's say a Bitcoin, which is illiquid because we cannot convert it as per our own comfort. And that then... Uh, sort of became to be called as uh, as oh it is illegal to hold because you cannot convert it there is taxation which is not very clear and thereby the ring fencing restriction by the Reserve Bank of India came to be known as the as the illegality of it however it is very clear 2013 since then Reserve Bank of India has come up with six notifications which is right there on their website freely available it only mentions that crypto is a high risk asset class these are the words high risk asset class that in case you are dealing hey, with that's cryptos, my Tinder bio hey that's my Tinder bio <laughs> <laughs> very nice <laughs> uh, let me laugh about it <laughs> very nice so it's a high risk asset class and uh, uh, being high risk asset class more than standard level of due diligence is expected. This is what the Reserve Bank of India has been stating. Never in its public notifications has either Reserve Bank of India or SEBI, we've written six letters, including SEBI to Ministry of Corporate Affairs, to Income Tax Department, GST Department, uh, uh, even to the uh, Investor Education Protection Fund. None of them claimed, and rightfully so, they cannot claim that cryptos is illegal in India, primarily because there's a legal glitch to it also. So you need to first identify the asset class and then decide whether it is illegal or legal. So they've not yet identified it as an asset class. That is the reason why it'll take more time, but that's a good fun part of it. There is surely lawlessness there, but it is surely never illegal in India. Well, thank you so much. That's our episode. Thank you for being here. No, I'm kidding. Um, you you very quickly just now mentioned that uh, we you, you mentioned 2013 and you mentioned uh, multiple letters written and outreach to people. So 
If we can, let's go back there because I feel like sometimes crypto feels like something that's just showed up on people's radar. And at least it feels like that's the impression that they have uh, about the crypto market at large, where it feels like, oh, it wasn't there. And suddenly somewhere around 2017, 2018, the word started showing up in like the public consciousness. And here we go. So take me back to 2013. And what I'm trying to understand is how does the process of sort of advocating for an asset class like this and negotiating with people like the RBI and other institutions and stakeholders uh, work. So I'd, I'd like to understand the history of, because I know that's something that you've been involved with. Uh, I believe that you're also a huge proponent of using RTIs and engaging directly um, with ministries and institutions to just get answers as opposed to speculating. So please take, take me through the history of crypto advocacy and engagement with institutions in India. So we all know that in 2009, uh, the concept of Bitcoin was started through a white paper by a person or a group of people known as Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, people even to the current day do not know who that person is. However, what is important here is that the thing, the, the logic that they built in was a radical improvement to the current financial ecosystem of the world. And that is the reason why people around the world got excited. Uh, one of my pinned tweets uh, in Twitter says that blockchain uh, kills centralized corruption. So I'm a I'm a uh, great advocate for that concept that blockchain eventually will kill the centralized level decision making as well as because the centralized decision making corruption seeps in. So going back again from a legal perspective, Indian authorities I think needs to be appreciated because as early as 2013, when people did not or there was no Ethereum at that time. So Ethereum came right. in 2015. At that time also, there must be some people doing something which RBI was able to proactively identify and the first notification that came from Reserve Bank of India, even though it was just four lines, but those four lines are strong enough. It simply says that virtual currencies, it calls it VCs at that time. So virtual currencies are high risk asset class and more than standard level uh, due diligence is expected for people who are engaging themselves. So you're doing it at your own. Sure. That thing is still there on the Reserve Bank of India's website, which is extraordinary right. because it is as early as 2013. And since then, 2013, 14, 16, post-Ethereum in 2016, they came up. 2017, they got a bit more aggressive because the volume soared up and the price of Bitcoin sure. soared up, say, a few hundred dollars to a thousand dollars and more. That is the reason that in 2017, we call it a breakthrough year. Because lots okay. of global players came into India, Indian people start getting jobs in crypto companies and thereby start getting their salaries in cryptos and those kind of things. And people were sort of totally unaware of what to do, where do I keep it, there were risks involved. Uh, we also see, I think I should touch upon this concept as well because we generally talk about good concepts, but let's talk about this as well. 2017 was the year of the ICO, which is the initial coin offering. Yes. And any Tom and Harry was raising those funds, but 2018 is also the year of scams at the highest level of scams in the entire last 10 years of uh, blockchain or Bitcoin history. And that is the reason why, because when you raise, I, I know people who raised up, say, $100 million worth of USDT, and then they did not even have a team. They did not have an, have an idea. Only on the basis of a few pages of white paper, they were able to raise funds. So those just a, It was the Wild West, essentially, at this point. Like, it's just, yes, it's just all manner of speculation. So we feel that even though the claim from the uh, from the Securities Exchange Board of India is that uh, these data about uh, what was the outcome of the study towards to Japan and Switzerland, 
uh, is confidential. But I still feel, looking at what Reserve Bank of India has been proactively doing, SEBI should also have come up stating that because every crypto does have a touch of securities law attached to it. So we also feel that sure. other than Reserve Bank of India, the second most relevant authority is the Securities Exchange Board of India. So we feel sure. that the taxation will come a bit later. But these two authorities, Reserve Bank of India and the Security Exchange Board of India, are two most important, relevant uh, authorities in India to decide about the legal frameworks for cryptos. And post that, of course, we can uh, have the GST department as well as the income tax department step in to decide. Currently, I think uh, from an Indian perspective, we are still speculating whether it's a digital asset, uh, whether it's an asset thing, is a separate asset class, or is it some kind of a uh, a security or something in between. So I think we're still stuck between uh, those those questions, at least in India. Okay, so then in that case, if, if we're still stuck between those questions, it, it's in this gray area. So are you saying at this point, it's just not classified as an asset in any way? The Honorable Supreme Court in India, uh, as early as March 2020, came up with a judgment, and this was after two and a half years of analysis and understanding what was going on in the global scenario. Uh, March 4th, 2020 is a, is a very relevant date in the crypto regulations in India because in a 180-page Supreme Court judgment, the court clearly stated that cryptocurrency exchanges can operate in India. There's nothing illegal about it. That's one. And second, it also drew references from at least 36 countries of the world wherein in some countries it was considered as digital asset and some countries they were still speculating uh, to decide whether it is to be merged with some existing asset class, and in some other countries, they were analyzing even it uh, even as a as a means of exchange. Uh, like the recent example, we have El Salvador uh, uh, less than two months ago uh, considering Bitcoin as uh, uh, a legal tender in their country. So it is those kind of countries uh, which we feel will trigger some regulatory frameworks. And then, of course, we've got examples like Japan, which is the other extreme. It calls, you can buy a cup of maybe Starbucks coffee in Japan uh, using cryptos. Similarly, very interestingly, UK has come up with uh, digital asset taxation frameworks uh, by the HMRC. It's right there on the HMRC website, which is equivalent of the income tax department. So the Supreme Court in India did rather uh, deep research to come up with all these updates and then mention that we are now allowing cryptos in India uh, with clear conversions from cryptos to fiat and vice versa as well. And that is the reason why we feel that even though India currently has not categorized it as separate asset class, but we are moving towards it based on that Supreme Court judgment. Thank you for clearing that up. So to take off from what you said when you convert crypto back to fiat, so how does taxation on crypto work currently in terms of, uh, or rather say any gains from cryptocurrency trading? Um, would, what would that fall under? Correct. So uh, we did uh, write a letter as early as 2018 to the income tax department as well as the GST department uh, regarding what are their thoughts around it. And we uh, we were expecting that they would come up with some response. Uh, however, we could not get any response from the GST or the income tax department to our right to information application. However, uh, when we look at, we look west and we look east and then we realize that, okay, there are some countries who've actually come up with very elaborate uh, taxation frameworks. Uh, two of the most uh, elaborate taxation jurisdictions can be Wyoming, which clearly mentions it as a property, a digital property. Uh, uh, and also UK, which clearly mentions it 
as a separate digital asset class. Uh, Japan, of course, and El, El Salvador uh, today uh, uh, considers it as a medium of exchange. You can, you can just keep it just like you keep currency notes. Uh, again, from a taxation perspective, talking about India, I think it falls uh, very similar to uh, a capital gains uh, asset. So say, for example, if you're an occasional trader, if you just buy it and just keep it for capital appreciations, in that case, mm-hmm. you've, got to key, you've got to pay capital gains tax. However, if you're a frequent right. trader, we generally recommend that in case you're a frequent trader and, and the objective is to earn regular profits, it is your core business. In that case, you've got to make a small balance sheet, disclose it as other current assets in the uh, current income tax return. Currently, there is no... A separate field in the Indian income tax return, but calling it as other current assets, disclosing it, paying the business level taxation in that, that should be the two most ideal methods of uh, disclosure. So if you're infrequent trader, capital gains, if you're a frequent trader, business uh, and business profits are to be disclosed and taxation paid. Thank you. That is legitimately the clearest answer I've gotten on the subject so far. So I appreciate that. Two, uh, you mentioned a bunch of other jurisdictions uh, where they have elaborate sort of taxation yes. rules and they have elaborate uh, currencies, sorry, policies. But one of the things that's been interesting over the last couple of weeks to watch is what's happening in America right. with regards to cryptocurrency regulation. And there's been a flurry of activity that's left a lot of hearts and mouths. Uh, could you explain a little bit? Because again, I feel like these are big and important markets. In And this is my understanding that in the world, it's when markets like say America and China um, make moves, the world notices and takes cues. So I'm just trying to understand what's going on in America currently. Okay, let's, let's take a couple of steps back and understand what has been going on in the last few years. Sure. Um, the the biggest mover in this space in the American ecosystem has been the state of Wyoming. Now, state of Wyoming uh, has invested about two years' time in developing the legal framework for cryptos, and it has one of the most elaborate legal frameworks in cryptos, not only in America, but in the world. Now, right. technically speaking, uh, cryptos in Wyoming are termed as property, and property is a state subject. That is, it is the Wyoming government that takes a decision and not the central government at, uh, or the federal government at Washington that takes a call on how they are to be regulated. And because right. Wyoming is a smaller state, it gives the governors there lots of, lots of innovative ideas and opportunities to create legal frameworks. Now, using all the power that they have, the governors there have come up with 13 blockchain laws in Wyoming and there are two more coming up. So that those 13 blockchain laws clearly define what is a utility token. They're also coming up with a, with a chancery bank, which is a specific crypto specific bank. They're coming up with a, with an institution called SPDI, which is a very smart uh, uh, institution. And why are we calling it smart? Now, lots of people think uh, in a traditional bank, how do banks make money? You go deposit your funds in the bank, then banks finds out someone to lend money out, earn interest on mm-hmm. them, then they give you back the interest. However, your money is at risk based on the judgment of the bank to give money to someone who can make the money and make the bank earn some interest based on the loans that they lent out. Fair. Now, these, these, these institutions that they are setting up in Wyoming, they are a no lend out bank. They will not lend out the money. So how do they earn? Say you deposit your cryptos there, they custody it, they charge you a certain fees. But then since they don't lend out, there is 0% risk of default. Now we feel that these kind of banks will surely come up in 
many other jurisdictions in the world. It is a right. no-risk bank. However, you've got to pay interest, but it gives you the power to custody your funds. Just like initially, let's say you've got one lakh rupee of cash, two lakh rupees of cash, hundred crore rupees of cash. You are worried where to keep that money. Similarly, uh, that is the reason why you go to a bank. But that then the bank lends out that money to someone else, and then the bank says, "Oh, sorry, uh, we lend out to the wrong person," and uh, that is the reason why the depositors' money is at risk. These banks that are instituted, that are that are now. Uh, being constructed in in Wyoming is a leapfrog. It's a, it's a massive step into the future. We feel that the future banks will be will be like this. That my money will not be at risk based on the judgment of the banker to lend out money to someone. And now, what is happening in in uh, America? The current regulations, and of course, there have been some some other updates as well. Like like last last year, there was an income tax form, the IRS nine form wherein uh, they also called for information about cryptos. Uh, however, right. then they had to withdraw that thing because people did not have sufficient. They were not collecting. Historically, they were not collecting all these transactions and cryptos. So right. currently, what is going on there is that the federal government is now trying to formulate certain policies, primarily from an anti-money laundering perspective, which is correct. However, sure. they have missed out on a very massive concept of proof of work. Currently, they are just calling that, okay, Something which is which is based on proof of uh, proof of work and anything other than proof of work, which is proof of stake and many other methodologies, they have been kept out of the definition, and that is the reason why lawyers there and many other uh, relevant uh, crypto. Uh, uh, crypto-friendly uh, firms have actually now started writing to the to the federal authorities that the current law that you are proposing is incorrect, and not only incorrect, it is also incomplete. We feel that I think uh, that that thing uh, or, or these or these voices will reach to the federal uh, authorities, and they will surely relook into what kind of uh, regulation that they want to build. Now, specifically speaking, uh, uh, just to summarize what is going on currently, they are saying that anything and everything other than Bitcoin, if you come up with your own coin, uh, then they may not legalize or they may not accept this as a valid. Uh, uh, option being given to the general public to raise funds and uh, trade in those currencies. So literally they are saying that other than one currency, either it is a CBDC or it is a bit Bitcoin. Other than that, nothing nothing is valid as per the American law. Now, similar things, similar challenges have been happening in Singapore as well. Even India, one of the, uh, I would say, uh, unpublished uh, reports, uh, it was an internal committee report, we also had similar, identical rather, uh, regulatory proposals, but those things did not pass simply because when you test it out from a legal perspective, the Supreme Court actually overcame all these challenges, all these smaller committee reports, and it had a macro level picture. From that perspective, it is important that what is happening in America is more like a federal push uh, to counter the developments that are going on in, in Wyoming or in Ohio uh, or in Iowa. Because, because if I give you an example, uh, Iowa is actually coming up with a with a bill which states that uh, smart contracts can actually be termed at par with physical legal contracts. That's a very interesting one. It, it takes away some power from the federal. Uh, my conclusion to all these developments is that, well, uh, this is what blockchain is. It gives power to the decentralized population in the world and it takes away some powers uh, from the centralized authorities. So 
as soon as the centralized authorities understand this, uh, they'll be able to uh, understand uh, what is going on in the market. So from that perspective, it's a, it's a very good, very refreshing change if you are in the public and not in the central authorities. No, it, it's interesting that you say that because that actually brings me very neatly to my next question. Um, beyond a point, like, does legalizing or not legalizing of such a decentralized asset even matter in the sense that what could central authorities do beyond a point um, if like with, with such decentralized assets? Oh, got it. Uh, that's a very interesting one. I still feel that regulatory frameworks for even decentralized assets are very much needed. Uh, generally, what happens, uh, we see that when, when things are good, when Bitcoin prices are rising, it's $64,000 at one time. Uh, people feel that, okay, wonderful, this, this empowers me. We don't need central politics. But at the end of it, when things go south, that is the reason why you need regulatory frameworks. It is when it is when someone scams someone using some decentralized methodologies, do you require the support uh, of regulatory authorities? So without regulatory authorities, uh, I don't think so that even the decentralized mechanisms work. Yes, what it does is that it dilutes the, the ultimate centralization of power, but still the protocols of how decentralized uh, uh, methodologies or decentralized transactions would work. You still need a framework for that, right? And that is the reason why I feel that regulatory authorities will not not become redundant. They will they will need to upgrade themselves to this new revolution, which says that we know how to decide for ourselves. Central authorities should provide, I would I would say, a framework, and they should not be the decision making authorities here. Currently, the problem with centralization is that. It is, it is framing the rules, it is collecting the taxes, and it is also deciding how things move. Now, what we are calling is that, what we are saying is that, going forward, especially the banking sector, the fintech sector, we are saying that let's democratize these sectors, let people decide what they want to do, and the central authorities should still be there to ensure that no one breaks those decentralized rules. And there are penalty provisions which can be then uh, enacted by the central authorities. So centralization will not go away, uh, especially for law enforcement purposes, but for decision-making purposes is what we are saying. You need decentralization, democratic decentralization in decision-making process, which is currently centralized. So you're basically saying, let the kids play among themselves, but let's just have an adult in the room to just make sure nothing goes wrong, as opposed to the adults controlling the play entirely. Oh, brilliant. Which that's, I think is that's fair. One of that's one of the most easiest way to put it. Uh, yes, that's what I'm saying. Correct. That that's that's me, Varun. You're here to do the complex. I'm here to do the easy. I'm here to do this at my level of under, <laughs> my level of understanding. So, in that case, final final question um, before I let you go. Um, with everything that you've said so far, uh, with everything that looking to the future, how are you? bullish on the sort of future of cryptocurrency regulation in India. I think it's the first time in my life I've used the word bullish in a sentence. Are you like in a sense with dealing with SEBI and dealing with RBI, do you feel like we're overall set up in a good place um, to have conversations with our institutions and central banks um, to be able to take this to a good place for everybody uh, in the future? Well, I would say India has already taken that giant step with the, with the proactive uh, step taken by the Supreme Court in March 2020. And that puts us well ahead in the race against many, many other nations in the world. Uh, we have analyzed about 76 uh, crypto-friendly jurisdictions in the world. And I would put India's uh, current regulation amongst the top 15 in the world. 
So from that perspective, we don't need an immediate and urgent requirement to set up something. Yes, of course, taxation is still unclear in India, but the the things that I explained uh, in this podcast, I still feel that you can still go forward and file your uh, disclosures, file your pay your taxes on cryptos and go forward with it. I think the Supreme Court judgment is sufficient enough, even though it's 180 page, not many people read it, but it's still sufficient enough to at least start a crypto startup in case you're interested in that. Uh, do a job in a crypto startup in case you are interested in this space. And looking further, I think uh, more actions are needed, especially from SEBI, uh, because there are lots of these cross-border transactions that happen in cryptos. Uh, because of these cross-border transactions, uh, we feel that SEBI and RBI are two very important uh, authorities to step in and clear out the frameworks. But I would still say India, even with the current framework, is good enough. Uh, it requires more framework to be in the sort of top five, top seven countries in the world when it comes to cryptos. It'll take time. Uh, we, we look at uh, uh, other nations of the world, uh, even Singapore for that matter. I did not mention Singapore. Singapore is, is, has taken more than one and a half years uh, uh, to just come up with one digital uh, asset offering guidelines. Other than that, it does not have any clear uh, taxation rules, even though it is ranked among the top three or top two in the world when it comes to ease of doing business. So from that perspective, what India has done is pretty good. Uh, we are expecting other authorities to also step up, especially the taxation authorities, and come up with some frameworks. But we'll keep on doing our work. We'll keep on writing letters to these people, uh, try to understand what's, what's going on in their mind, and uh, keep on uh, sharing some updates about the world with these authorities so that they come up with more clear laws. With clearer laws, I'm sure more interns, more employees, more tech developers, uh, more podcasters, uh, would surely join this space and make it even more decentralized. Currently, I think uh, the world of blockchain is more centralized in, in India. So I think we need more decentralization. And hopefully those interns and employees will not quit in a day because uh, <laughs> their parents found out Indeed. what this is all about. Varun <laughs> Sethi, thank Indeed. you so much for being on the show. And thank you so much for your insights. I feel like I've learned a lot um, over this conversation. And uh, yeah. Thank you. And um, I look forward to um, talking with you some more in the future as this thing grows and grows and grows. Absolutely. It was, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Superb. Thank you.